and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, we'll see that the Lord Jesus Christ presents himself within local assemblies by his Holy Spirit. Additionally, we will see that Christ fully knows the deeds of his people and he will, in fact, evaluate those deeds one day. And now with his message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott. It's a serious duty, church family, to pray for your pastors. We've seen to date that Christ recognizes the human leaders of local churches, that Christ upholds the human leaders of local churches. The third point, if you're taking notes, Christ presences himself within local churches in the person of his Holy Spirit. Do you see the second part of verse one? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Christ, by his spirit, presences himself within any local church. Remember, the lampstands are ways of saying local churches. And Christ presences himself within individual lampstands, even to this day, by the Spirit of God. You'll recall in the upper room before the Lord Jesus went to Calvary to die for your sins and mine, he had his closest followers, his disciples with him, instituted the Lord's table, the communion table, and he said this to them relative to himself and the coming Holy Spirit. Acts 16, 7 to 14. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin in righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So right now, this is saying, church, that this moment, the risen and glorified Christ is ascended back to heaven and is seated at the Father's right hand, his hand of authority and strength. That's where the Lord Jesus is for now. But here on earth, here in our local church assembly, the Holy Spirit is within us if we know Christ. And for now, the Holy Spirit ministers Christ until we see Christ face to face through physical death or the rapture of the church. The fourth point in this sermon, Christ recognizes human leaders, Christ upholds human leaders, Christ presences himself within local churches by the Holy Spirit. Last point, Christ fully knows, fully knows the deeds of all believers who make up every local church. 2-1, to the angel of a church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. The next time we're in Revelation, 
I will endeavor to take up verse 2b through 7 because we need to learn from an ancient church in Ephesus how their deeds needed to be corrected and some of their deeds that were wrong are still deeds we carry forward that need to be corrected. But I'm going to stop there with the whole concept, the notion that Christ Jesus, head of the church, knows our deeds. After we are raptured as a church, caught up to meet the Lord together in the air, one of the first events that will take place in heaven for the church is that we will stand before the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, as an evaluation for either reward given or reward withheld. The bema judgment seat of Christ is only for believers, but it's for every single one of us. No one's exempt. And it's not a judgment to see who gets to go to heaven and who gets to go to hell, because that's settled on earth when we trusted Jesus to be our savior. But the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, is an evaluation that Jesus Christ will make on a one-by-one basis. It's an individual evaluation. I won't answer for Beth, she won't answer for me. We'll answer individually for ourselves. And what will Jesus Christ use as his basis of evaluation of our deeds? There are two main New Testament passages on the beam of the judgment seat of Christ. They're kind of easy to remember. 1 Corinthians 3.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10. 1 Corinthians 3.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 3.10-15. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man, there it is, each man must carefully build on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of Milford Bible Church, and Jesus Christ is the foundation of every single one of us who are redeemed. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon remains, that is after the fire test, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved so as through fire. Second Corinthians 5.10, same event, the beam of the judgment seat of Christ after the rapture of the church, says this, for we must all, again, every one of us, no one's exempt, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's a pretty sobering thing to know that Jesus Christ, as head of the church, fully knows the deeds of all the believers who make up every local church. He knows all my deeds. He knows each of your deeds, all of them. And the first takeaway I want you to take from these verses we've preached today is that we ought to live like the church is a big deal. We ought to live like we believe the church is a really big deal. I have an autographed baseball here that I got at a special event. It's got a franchise, my favorite franchise's first Cy Young winner's signature on it. It's got a manager of my favorite franchise that will be a a Hall of Famer. It's got the signature of one of my team that I cheered for that was one of the first All-Stars elected to the All-Star game in this expansion franchise's history. Why do I have it in a case? Because it's a big deal to me. The Church of Jesus Christ, this church, your church, should be a big deal to you. Second, 
Not only are we to live like the church is a big deal, but we are to cooperate with the Lord himself in upholding our pastors. There's a whole number of ways we've taught you this morning how you could uphold us, but the most primary, fundamental, important way you could uphold us is by strapping on knee pads so that you would stay in your knees long in prayer for us. Please pray for us. And last, not only live like the church is a big deal, not only cooperate with the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to uphold pastors in prayer, but live. Live like fire's coming. Live like fire's coming. You may say of my ministry from a limited human finite evaluation, oh, that was great, Pastor Rob. But could it be that when Jesus has me before him and he talks about the same ministry that you compliment me on, if I did it in my own strength, if I did it motivated for anything but love for Jesus Christ and you, his people, live like fire's coming, because it is. To the angel, the pastor of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus, our Savior and King, the head of the church, recognizes human pastor teachers, upholds them, and calls God's people to also uphold them. Father, thank you that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, presences himself within each local church in the person of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you fully know our deeds, that some will be rewarded and some will not be. In so much as we can't do anything about our deeds that we've already done in the past, may we choose to go forward with the deeds that you still have for us to do with the right motivations and the right dependence upon you and not ourselves. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name and the church of God said, amen. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas Rogers and I am the youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. And we wanna just continue and pick up on what we talked about last week as we considered putting off different things in our lives as things that we, before we knew Christ, that we partake in and that we allow to um, just control our lives. And again, I just want to read verses 5 um, to 6. It says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's talking about putting to death these different things. And also it talks in verse 8, But now you must put them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Again, last week we talked about how we need to put away and take these things off from our lives. But in Colossians chapter 3, it doesn't stop there. It talks about not just taking off and putting things to death, but it's telling us to put on. And we think it consider verse 12, Colossians chapter 3, it says, Put on, then as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As we consider those couple attributes, we could, you know, we could think of we need to be holy as Christ is holy. 
We need to understand that we need to be compassionate. We need to show the love of Christ to one another. Kind. Humility. You know, what is the opposite of humility? Pride. God doesn't want us to be prideful. He wants us to be humble as he is humble. He has showed us through his word as, as he came in, in from the heaven to this earth to die for us and, and just humble himself to that. And you know, when we think, consider Christmas time, we talk about the birth of Christ and, and we, and, you know, we would think that the, you know, the babe born would be in our greatest hospital ever created. But no, he was born in a manger. What a, what a story. What a humble beginning. Again, meekness and patience. Patience is something that we all struggle with, I'm sure. Um, you know, if we consider as a, as a teenager, we consider, you know, we want to know what God wants for our lives. And we wish God would just show us now. And we've been praying that, you know, this thing would happen. And, and sometimes it's hard because we want the answers now because we live in a generation where everything comes to us so quickly. Verse 13 continues on saying, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. What strong words for us to consider that we must forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You know, this is something that, that, that hurts our generation today and hurts our country and hurts our families because we don't like to forgive. We like to hold on to grudges. We like to um, continue to let bitterness stay in our lives and just eat us alive. But the question becomes, what if Christ did that to us? When we consider what Romans chapter 3 talks about, and it talks about how we wanted nothing to do with Christ, but yet He still pursued us. He still loved us enough to send His Son to die for us. What more could we want? When He forgave us of our sins, what is stopping you from forgiving somebody? And we hold grudges for some of the, really the dumbest things. And sometimes we have people who, are upset with each other who don't even know why they're upset with each other. It's just a matter of talking and, and talking to them and asking them, you know, what is it that, that, you know, caused our relationship to fall? You know, I think that we need to understand that Christ has showed us the example. He showed us that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. That's what you call forgiveness. That's what you call love. Verse 14 says, and above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, a simple word, put on love. Love is something that we heard the song, love is something that you give it away. It is something that we are not supposed to hold to ourselves, but we are people that are so caught up in ourselves at times that we love ourselves more than we love our neighbor. And I think that as we think of this passage and we think of this, Paul makes it very clear that we need to put on love because when we can put love into something, it can just drop all walls and barriers. When someone sees that you love them, you know, it helps with perfect harmony. Verse 15 talks about, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Again, let the peace of Christ. Let Christ indwell in you. Let Christ show you exactly the peace of that passes all understanding. And verse 16 is very, and 17 is very crucial for us to understand. And as we consider what we're talking about here, we can only do this through the love of Christ. We can only do this in a relationship with Christ because our old nature will tell us that we need to put down people and we need to, um, you know, 
you know, not forgive them. But verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, when we consider that we need to allow the word of God to indwell in our lives, that it teaches us, it admonishes us, it shows us the areas in our lives that we need to change. We need to understand that that's what the word is there. It is our guide to life. It shows us the areas in our lives that we need to change. It shows us how we are to live. It shows us how we are to, you know, put on these attributes. In verse 17, if we consider that, what a difference our world would be. And we consider that in everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That would change our whole perspective on life. That we would recognize that we need to do everything in honor of God, who is our Father, who is there for us, who, is, who we are representing. And when we consider that, that would, that would, change, that would change everything for us. That would change everything in our country, that would change everything in our churches, that would change everything in our families, that in, in our households, that we would recognize that we are a representation of Christ. Again, I want to just thank you for listening, and I hope that we would not just be hearers of this word, but we would be doers, as each one of us would understand that if, if we put God first in what we do, we would have such a greater country, and we would love and we would show the love of Christ to every person we came in contact with. Again, this is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to thank you for listening. And now, today's ministry spotlight. I'm pleased this morning to have Dr. Marlene Heiler with me in the studio. Good morning, Marlene. Good morning, and good morning, Bahamas. Marlene is a professional counselor, and she is the co-founder of the New Providence Classical School here in Nassau. Marlene, this morning I'd like to visit with you a bit on the topic of children who are hurting. Mm. Children who are hurting. And let me begin by asking you, what kinds of things hurt kids today? Well, I'm going to try not to cry. The first thing that comes to mind is duplicity. And this, I'm not just talking kids. I'm talking children who grew up in Christian homes who may be 40 now. Mm-hmm. They are very disturbed with having a fight in the car before church yeah, and parents who jump out of the car and smile mm-hmm. as if everything is okay. Mm-hmm. I've been told that in counseling. Mm-hmm. So when they see their parents act one way at home and act another way publicly, that seems to hurt children. Yes, it does. It's uh, inconsistent. It's hypocritical. It's uh, playing a role, wearing a mask. It's inauthentic and it does hurt. What else hurts children today? May I say sweethearting? We talk about Bahamian men and now women who women who, who begin it, I hear, as soon as they get married. Like, why did you get married if you're taking on a, another partner? But uh, children who who grown up knowing they can't tell their friends who their daddy is. Wow. Yeah. And husbands who've had, you know, and, and I've heard of ministers who, who've done this, but fathers who have two and three homes mm. and their children from the various homes can't publicly say who their daddy is. I've heard Dr. Tim McCartney, an old Bahamian psychologist, say that when Bahamian children grow up seeing their police daddy or their pastor daddy or their dad that has, you know, is an authority figure in the country, yes. 
living these dual lives, it's caused the Bahamians to grow up with a lack of respect for authority. Very interesting. So that the some for some the the lifestyle of not respecting authority began right in their own home. Yes. And that's affecting our culture greatly. A lot of the crime, the results, what we see, it's a it's the consequences of a generation of people who have lived double lives. So serious. So we've touched on uh, duplicity. Some call it hypocrisy. We've talked upon sweethearting, which is such a such a false, pleasant word for fornication and mm-hmm. adultery, mm-hmm. and uh, and how damaging that is to children. What else hurts children? In our culture, rejection is big. Rejection meaning, say you're a dad who likes sports. Yes. And your son is more musically inclined, more has a more delicate spirit, and you insist in, on putting, projecting on him or the daughter who her real person is not who you want her to be, mm. and you insist on them being a certain way, and that's not who they really are. And so they feel deep down that you really, you really have not accepted them. You can come from a, I'm from a business family, and so I know this personally. So when I announced in my after praying for about a year in ninth grade, what the Lord wanted me to do and having peace in 10th grade that I was going to someday be a Christian psychologist yes. so I could help people be all that God called them to be. That was an affront to a business family. Mm-hmm. And, and then the school that had the most biblically based counseling program was in California. Mm-hmm. So for me to move from the Bahamas to California, it looked as if I was in rebellion. And so parents who are not accepting God's call in a child's life, it's, it's, it's rejection. And that hurts whether you're a child or an mm-hmm. adult, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Anything else come to mind that hurts children? Well, I don't know all of the foundation of what is going on. We need to find out clinically what is going on. I have never met a generation of people who actually say they hate their parents like I'm seeing and hearing now in the country. For instance, you know, not that the U.S. is better, but you've heard the commercials. If you talk to your child about abstaining sexually or if you talk to your child about not taking drugs, we know scientifically, at least in the U.S., it's going to impact their decisions. It influences them. In a positive way. In a positive way. I don't know what's going on scientifically with our culture, what is contributing to, there's a disconnect between, even in Christian families, what the child is really, they're not interpreting the expensive tennis shoes, the expensive clothes, the clubs you want them to be a part of, the swim club, whatever, the gym club, gymnastics, they're not interpreting that as concern and care. Mm. And there's no substitute, is there? for that genuine Cons- Christ-like concern, concern and, care. and care. The ch- children aren't internalizing the interest as care. And I don't know what is the percentage. We need to do the research to find out. I do know Bahamian children, more so girls and boys, are now cutting. Themselves. Them cutting themselves. And they get that from movies and from songs. But, you know... Things that affected the U.S. like that, from a clinical perspective, you wouldn't see it so much. Depression. We've had teens commit suicide in the Bahamas. Yes. And bullying. Mm. 
not being accepted. We don't talk about this, but for instance, if you're the person in your family that doesn't have the fairest skin, in a white family or black family, you could not be accepted. So the person who has the straightest nose, the straightest hair, the fairest skin is the person who's going to be in the, you know, the flower girl, the bridesmaids, and so on and so forth. So if you're not the one with the straightest hair, the straightest nose, and the lightest skin, there could be issues. Hmm. And sometimes teachers are projecting that on children. So they're being bullied for their skin color sometimes, or, you know, or lack of color, whatever. And... It's very painful out there for children. Wow, that's an eye-opener for me and probably for many who are listening this morning. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. I have a question based on Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts 2, 38. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, Did Peter teach that baptism was necessary for salvation? Baptism was viewed in ancient times as a public sign of faith, identifying a new believer with the Christian community. This meant severing ties with Judaism and becoming a follower of Jesus. The Bible teaches clearly that salvation and the forgiveness of sins is always through faith in Christ. See, for example, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible teaches clearly that salvation and the forgiveness of sins is always through faith in Christ, not the result of baptism. The phrase, for the forgiveness of your sins, could be rendered from the Greek, because of the forgiveness of your sins. This is an example of the causal use of the Greek preposition ace. So let me read it that way. Acts 2 38. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.